Welcome to the Divorce Recovery Men Over 40 podcast that empowers men with the tools that foster hope, resilience, and growth during and after divorce. Check it out. everybody out there to Divorce Recovery Men Over 40. We have Seth Nelson. He's a lawyer down in Florida, family law. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of the processes of getting men divorced, the pre, the during, the post, go from there. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Seth. And I got a couple questions for you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, as you said, I'm a divorce attorney and um, been practicing solely in divorce for about 16, 17 years now. I'm the managing partner of NLG, family law, um, divorce and family law in Tampa, Florida. We do stuff all over the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got very talented lawyers and paralegals and legal assistants, and we love working as a team and using technology to kind of help our clients get better results uh, from our viewpoint and be more efficient with our time. And uh, you know, I love podcasting. I have How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships and <laughs> talking about what you're talking about, David. Um, you know, the most important relationship is the one with yourself. And I think you got a sweet spot here talking to guys over 40 because uh, it's not easy for guys to reach out to each other. So the fact that you have this platform for them is really amazing. Hmm. So let's start with uh, what are some of the common misconceptions that men over 40 have about the divorce process? And how can they better be prepare themselves mentally and emotionally for it? A big misconception is that, oh, the woman's going to get the kids. Mom's going to get the kids. Uh, dads don't have rights. Uh, in Florida, and, you know, always recommend that people check their local jurisdiction and get with a qualified attorney to verify anything that I might be saying today and how it applies to their jurisdiction because I'm not giving legal advice out today. But in Florida, as of July 1st, 2023, there is a presumption of 50-50 timesharing. Now, we use the term timesharing in Florida. Think of that as custody or visitation. Mm -hmm. But there's a presumption, 50-50, right off the bat. Um, Different judges will look at that presumption differently on whether you can overcome it uh, by what we call the preponderance of the evidence. And as you know, that's the lowest standard in the legal community to get over. The highest, of course, is beyond a reasonable doubt, which we hear about in criminal cases and in the movies. but that's a big misconception is that the mom's just going to get the kids. Hmm. So in your experience, what are the key factors that can lead to a successful divorce settlement for men in this age group? What kind of strategies should they consider? I know you don't want to stack the deck and fairness is all, you know, I preach fairness. You know, my marriage didn't work and I want to be fair. And so how do men kind of go about that? Well, I think first off, focusing on settlement's a great idea. And to get better outcomes, I think it's really important to focus on the underlying reasonings for your positions. So here's a good example, I think. If really a guy or or a woman, but if someone says, I want to keep the house and they get very positional, I am going to court, I'm going to keep this house, I'm going to keep this house. It's important to ask the underlying question of why is the house so important to you? Oh, well, it's because where the kids are, or maybe it's because of they're in a good school district and you want to keep them in the school district. Well, if that's the goal, keeping the house in and of itself 
is not the only way to achieve that goal. You could potentially sell the house in one parent, move into a two-bedroom condo. Let's say you have one kid mm-hmm. that's in the school district because let's say you don't have the money for that style house anymore. Okay, we're going to downsize, but we're going to downsize and one of us is going to make the decision to live in a downsized house because it's important to be in the school district for our child. But we're going to compensate that person in another way. Right, maybe financially, maybe this, maybe that. Maybe you have an agreement that they must live in the school district. It's like a sliding scale. Yeah, there's just ways to be very creative to come up with settlements as opposed to just dividing assets in two and dividing it, you know, adding them up and dividing in two. You take this, I take that. So another example, some people will be like, I don't want to give her half my retirement and or I don't want to pay alimony. I'm not going to pay any alimony. I'll go to trial over alimony. And I say, okay, if you had to pay her a dollar a year for the rest of your life in alimony, would you pay it? They say, of course. I said, well, then don't tell me that you're going to go to trial over alimony. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What you're saying is I'm going to go to trial over alimony if the amount that she wants me to pay and the length of time she wants me to pay is more than I want to pay. And then I explain to them, nowhere in any jurisdiction that I've ever heard of Does it say one of the things for the judge to consider in awarding alimony to the wife is how much the husband wants to pay? (laughs) That's, that's that new law. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's that new law. Exactly. David in the unicorn world, it doesn't happen. So don't get so positional. Let's get our underlying reasonings out there on why we want or don't want certain things. I'm a big believer, if you can, one and done. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say that everybody agrees, which they wouldn't, but everyone agrees that the husband's going to have to pay over time, I'm making up a number, $100,000 in alimony. Okay, but you've got a 401k with $200,000 in it. We could say... Just take the whole 401k. Half of it's mine, half of it's yours. But I'm going to give her all the 401k. I'm not going to pay alimony. I'm buying out my alimony now. Mm -hmm. She's going to say in that hypothetical, I really appreciate your bucking up 100 grand to be one and done, except as much as I'm still going to need money for retirement and 401k, that doesn't help me now. So why don't you keep the 100,000 in the 401k? Now you owe me 200. One for the hundred in the four hundred one k, and one for the hundred in alimony you're going to pay me. But guess what? The house has three hundred thousand dollars in equity. I'm due one fifty. You're due one fifty. So give me your equity. You only owe me another fifty grand. We've got a checking account or a savings, or you got some stock options. Give me that extra. Let's cash it out. Let's file our taxes together this year, mm-hmm. and let's pay down the mortgage. So I can lower my mortgage payment and then I won't need as much alimony. I'll be able to make it on my own. You need to think of these mechanisms in ways to create money on how you file taxes or do you take a lump sum loan against a 401k? There's all sorts of mechanisms that if you're working together to solve problems, you're going to be better off than giving the money to the lawyers and going in front of a governmental official to make a decision about your kids and your money. And that governmental official who trusts the government to do a good job? 
nobody. Yeah. So these government officials happen to be called judges. Hmm. Are there any specific legal issues or challenges that men over 40 commonly face during divorce, such as uh, um, asset division, child custody, alimony you, you just talked about, and how can they navigate those effectively? You know, we already talked about alimony. What about child custody? Yep. And uh, So the thing about child custody is what are you arguing about? You should always define what are you arguing about. So <sighs> by way of example, guys will say, rightfully so, I want 50-50. I want to have the kids 50% of the time. I want mom to have 50% of the time. Once again, I use the extreme example. I am going to trial unless I get 50-50. And kids 10 years old, let's say. I said, okay, here's the 50-50 schedule. We all agree that schedule ends at 18. Yep, but from now to 18, I want 50-50. I said, no problem. Mom gets from age 10 to age 14 100% of the time. You get age 14 to 18 100% of the time. 50-50. Let's write it up. It's ridiculous, right? So don't come to your lawyer with demands of what you want like that. Here's what I think people should want in a divorce with their children. They should, one, want the least amount of conflict between parents Mm -hmm. because that and the study show is the ultimate factor on whether kids are successful, use anything you want to put to successful in life, um, about divorce. Kids do not do well in conflict. Here's what I mean. I don't care what the parenting plan is. If the parents are in conflict, the parenting plan cannot be implemented in a way that is beneficial for children. So it's about implementing the plan. Now, if someone comes to you with an offer of 60-40, which is every other weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night, you're with your kid, every Wednesday, overnight, pick up from school, drop off at school Thursday morning, and every other Thursday. You don't get every Thursday. She gets the one more day every two weeks. That's a 60-40. Here's what you give up. After school, pick up on Thursday every other week in the morning every other week. So let's say you get off work at 5, 5.30, you get your kid by 6. Kid goes to bed at 9. Three hours, four hours. Let's say you have an hour in the morning, which sucks because you're getting your kid up, fed to school. It's a nightmare, right? You're giving up an hour. You're giving up five hours every two weeks. And I would tell you, if you cannot bond with your child, without those five hours every two weeks to have a positive relationship with that child. So they come to you in good times and bad when they're 10, when they're 20, when they're 30, when they're 40. The extra five hours aren't going to help you, brother. (laughs) Save your money. Dang. Get your ego out of the way. Save your money, right? Put it towards your kid. Don't pay for my kid's college education. Pay for your own kid's college education. Define what you're arguing about and how important is it. Get your ego out of the way. I got a little bit easy uh, with the child uh, custody. We did 50%, but we did week on, week off. And that was, I mean, talk about sweet. For me, that was sweet. 
And How they, old was your kid, if I can ask you, David? Oh, man, they were uh, high school, middle school, and grade school. Okay. So, and they were busy. Great schedule. Oh, yeah. Great schedule. And great schedule for high school kids. They yeah, love it. The one thing that really torqued me was once I got into this groove with the 50%, 50% off, I couldn't wait for them to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so bad because I was inundated by myself for that seven days. I was hitting it, bang, 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 bang. And man, by that seventh day, I was like, man, I can't wait for you guys to go to your mom. And I felt so bad, but everybody I know talks about that. But it was just something to go through. So like that David, was fine, but that worked for us. The thing in the world, and, and I know it's a guide show over 40, but just hear me out when I say this. I think the hardest thing in the world is being a single mom, not a single dad. Because the societal pressures on single mothers is greater than on single dads. When I got divorced, my kid was two and a half. And someone said, oh, you're a dad? I'm like, yeah, I'm a single dad. And they would say, oh, did you lose your wife? Right? Because we don't use the term single dad. Mm -hmm. When you say single mom, you don't think, did she lose her husband? Did he pass away? Right. So I think society deals with it differently. And to your point, when you're arguing over 50 50 or this or that, I say, you just need to look at the other parent as free babysitting. <laughs> like, take a break. Like, you need to recharge. Oh my God. You need to go out with the guys and oh. have a beer. You need to watch the games on Sunday. You need to go golfing, fishing. Yep woodworking or reading a book or writing poetry or podcast, whatever you're into, I don't care, but that's how we recharge as yep. humans. And I, I to felt, your point, I felt so three bad. Kids, yeah. Three kids, seven yeah. days in a row. That is hard work. Oh, yeah. I felt bad at first, but then I got over it. But uh, let's talk about communication. My communication with my soon to be ex when I was going through it was uh, because it was so contentious. It was all emailed and text. I couldn't talk to her on the phone. I couldn't talk to her uh, like in, like face-to-face. -face. And that worked for us. Um, what kind of communication play do you see with the divorce process, you know, dealing with the spouse and children? And, and maybe how can men improve their communication skills during this challenging time? Guys, we suck at it. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Obviously, right, stroke, just, stroke. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just, just, just. <laughs> Own it, okay? So the first thing is in your communication is um, you need to take out of your vocabulary, your text, your emails, talking to anyone, any adjectives. You don't need any descriptors, right? Hmm. right? We have a problem. It doesn't need a big problem, right? Okay? So in, in here's what I say. Biff, you're brief, you're informative, you're firm, and you're friendly. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. You never go on the attack. Personal attacks go nowhere. Yeah. Okay. It just puts flames on the fire. You're going to get emails and texts back and forth, thousands of pages that I'm going to have to go through in court and prepare for thousands of dollars to do so. So here's an example you've dealt with this, you've got a kid who's sick. Right. You got kids that need to go to their extracurriculars after school. David, you're a great dad, but you can't be in more than two places at one time. Right. More than one place at two times. Like you, you are stuck where you are. Okay. How do you communicate that to her? 
And let's be clear. This was a transition day and you picked the kid up sick from school. You have the hunch that that kid was sick in the morning and she dumped him at school <laughs> and on you to freaking deal with it. Okay? We all have seen it. We've all done it. Okay? So now it could be, hey, you dropped off a sick kid to school and now I've got to get three kids in three different spots and I had it all organized, but I can't do it now because I have to stay home with this kid. You're such a expletive, 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 cursing at her, right? You're a horrible mom. That does nothing. Or you can say, look, little Johnny's sick. The two other kids have this. They need to be here, 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 here. This is was my plan. I can't implement this plan. Would you please consider, if possible, helping take, you know, junior to soccer practice? Mm-hmm. And say, from this time to this time, right? Be very clear, very specific. Please let me know if that works for you. If I do not hear from you by this time, I will make other arrangements. And I'm working on them now for backup plans, right? But And you say, thank you very much. I know you might have other plans. You know, I really appreciate the help. Mm-hmm. That's, so you're brief. And I went on a little long there because I said three kids. But you're brief. You're informative. Here's the problem. Here's the solution, right? You're friendly. Thank you very much. But you're firm. If I don't hear about you by this time, this is what I'm doing. Yep. Biff would be hard. Thinking back now, Biff would have probably helped me get through a lot of things. Oh, my gosh. Right. Yeah. You're, um, you're solving a problem. That's yeah. all you're doing. You're not going to fix her. Yep. You're solving your problem. And if you focus on solving your problem, she's going to be part of the solution or part of the adding to it, but get rid of the noise, get rid of your ego when she attacks you, focus on the kids. How can men prioritize their mental health um, and well-being during and after the divorce and what resources or support networks are available to help them with the emotional toll of separation? Even at the beginning, it's just crazy. Men go to a rabbit hole. It's huge. Great question. This is going to sound really basic. Eat healthy. Get some exercise. Take time for yourself. And this is the best advice I'm going to give anyone and the hardest advice to take and to implement. Live your life, not your divorce. Live your life, not your divorce. People say that their divorce takes 18 months of hell. I've been there as a lawyer helping people through that hellish process. I did not bill that client for 18 straight months of work every day, 24 hours a day, right? We go bankrupt. <laughs> I would never sleep. So the, so okay. the hell does stop. It does. But my point is, when you're dealing with the divorce and with your lawyers, be organized. Set a meeting with an agenda. Here are my questions. How do I get them answered? Don't ding your lawyer every five minutes or every day with email after email after email after email after email after, email after text. Oh, more email, more phone call. Like, you're, you're just spinning your wheels and wasting your money. So live your life. When you're with your kids, there's no reason to be on your cell phone. You should be focused on your kids. You want more time with your kids? Put down your phone. Now, when it's time to deal with all the paperwork and all the financial documents you have to give your lawyer, set aside two hours on Saturday or after the kids are in bed, do whatever you can get done in two hours and send it to your lawyer. Okay, so organize your time 
where you're going to say, I am going to focus on this hellish nightmare I'm going through for two hours and I'm done with this for the day because my kids are in bed and I want to be rested in the morning on Saturday morning when they get up so I can make them pancakes because you're never going to get that morning to make pancakes again. Yep, you won't get that time back. I preach. I'm on a couple of Facebook groups and a lot of these guys are... I mean, I mean, they hang on the notion is, you know, there was one the other day where the mom was was making the uh, daughter call the new boyfriend daddy. And all these people were worried about what's going on at the wife's house, but they're not focusing on themselves and making themselves better and handling their own four walls and trying to be the best dad that you could be. And that just drives me nuts that they don't see the big picture. You know, they you know, they got the parking space and they got the ex-wife in the parking space or soon to be ex-wife in, in the parking space and they can't let it go. Uh, what's what's some of the things guys can do to let that go? So I think words are really important. So first off, I would never refer to my ex-wife, the woman I used to be married to, as an ex. I think it's derogatory. So I always say former spouse. Say former spouse. There's nothing negative there. Okay. I was married to her. I'm no longer married. She's former. Okay. I also advise to never tell your current wife that she will be a former wife because I'd said that as a joke to my wife. It didn't play well. Okay. You got to know your audience. <laughs> Don't go through a second divorce or a third divorce. Duh. <laughs> you know? So one, I think the words that you use in getting over it, I think so much is putting your ego aside. Yes, it is improper to have a child call someone dad or dad. You might have a nickname for them for, mm-hmm. um, that's different, right? Um, which is fine, I think. But it is all about your child's relationship with somebody else. It doesn't replace you. There's nothing you can do or they can do that will replace you as a parent if you're doing what you're supposed to do. Kids know that they're step-parents, that there's another person in their life. It's not the same as a parent. It's just different biologically. So get your ego out of the way. If you just do what you're supposed to do and focus on your relationship with the kid, no matter what they're doing, it shouldn't hurt it. Okay, yeah, and people say they alienate me. They say bad stuff about me. That stuff backfires. When they do all of that and the kid shows up at your house 40% of the time and things are good, they're going to figure out, like they'll say, you know, mommy says this or uh, about you. And you say, well, I'm sorry you had to hear that. But you get to make your own decisions about how I treat you. Mm -hmm. And let's go. What do you want to do? What's on our agenda today, right? but you got to talk to kids as they are in their age group so they understand. So I will just share this one other part about this, about new people being in your kids' lives. Um, When I was first dating my wife 14 years ago, like I was saying how long ago we got married, um, she said, you know, well, how is it? Like your former spouse is dating someone pretty serious and involved in your kid's life. And my kid was five at the time. And I told her, you cannot have too many people that love your kid. And she thought to herself, and she told me this later, like, that's when I thought, okay, Seth is somebody I really need to get to know. What's this guy all about? Because she was expecting, oh, he's fine, whatever. It's nice to, you know, as long as they're happy and, and nice to him. But 
you can't have too many people that love your kid. And sometimes that new person can be a problem. They'll overstep their bounds. But mm-hmm. even if they do, they're not going to change your relationship with your child. Then you deal with that with your former spouse. Hey, I'm a little concerned they're overstepping their bounds a little bit. You're the parent. They're not the parent. Let's work on how we can communicate about this, right? I'm not trying to attack. I'm just telling you what I'm being told. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. Is this what you're hearing? Is this what you're seeing? So the big three uh, dispute resolution are the judge, uh, arbitration, and mediation. Uh, I did arbitration. Didn't turn out very well, but that's a different story. Um, Are are the courts, well, here in Colorado, they're trying to get more efficient, where they're kind of moving everything to arbitration, where you rarely ever see a judge. Are you seeing that that trend happen? No, there, you can do it in Florida. It's very, very rare. Wow, well, it's totally opposite. Mandatory arbitration. So let's make sure we're defining these terms, because arbitration and mediation sound so close, people get yep. confused. So mediation is when you go to a neutral third party, And their job, the mediator, is to try to resolve the problem. They have no decision-making authority. So I go to mediation with my client. We sit in one room. The other spouse with their lawyer sits in the other room. The mediator goes back and forth and says, Seth, what are the issues? Do you have any settlement proposals? Here's her settlement offer. Okay, I'll be back. She goes in the other room, takes her settlement offer, goes through it, comes back with a counteroffer, or comes back with, hey, well, they need more information. They don't have an updated bank statement, whatever. They go back and forth, back and forth. And hopefully at the <laughs> end of the day, you sign a parenting plan, which deals with the kid issues, and a marital settlement agreement, which deals with all the money issues. That's mediation. Arbitration is usually a panel of either one person or three that you present a case to, and they make a decision and it can either be binding, it's done or non-binding, but you are more in an adversarial process. The rules of evidence are much looser than in court. Okay. And a lot of the court systems are like, we are not dealing with this, send it to arbitration. And we were overloaded, it will go quicker. You pick your arbitrators, you make decisions. Okay. Then you have the good old fashioned court system. It's not like you see on TV. But except for there's a courtroom. Divorce court? No, seriously, come on. <laughs> well, there's a courtroom and a judge. <laughs> Two parties wanting, don't want to live together anymore. But about other than that, it, it's nothing like TV. So let's talk about success stories. You know, I know you have some, perhaps some failures too, but let's talk about success stories for a man over 40. What's a good success story for a man over 40 where he was able to rebuild his life and find happiness after a challenging divorce? Well, I think I'm one. There you go. I mean, I was 31, I think, when I got married, 33 when I got divorced. But uh, my former spouse has met and married just an amazing guy that is wonderful to my son and his sister. Um, We all go out together from time to time, even when my kid's not at home from college. When he's home from college, we usually get together for a meal. We... Uh, when he was in high school, we saved seats for each other. When he was in a play, wow. or, um, would not worry about whose year it was for Thanksgiving. Um, it's my former spouse's favorite holiday. Uh, one year I was having surgery, David. I wasn't going to travel for Thanksgiving, and my son was supposed to be with me. And I told her, look, we're not doing anything. Why doesn't he go down with you and spend time with you? 
Um, and I say go down because she lives local, just four blocks from me at the time. Mm-hmm. But they would go down to Anna Maria Island every year. She was so excited that she was going to have him for Thanksgiving. And she calls me the next day and says, you know, I'm sorry. I'm like, what are you sorry for? She's like, I really apologize. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, I was so excited to have him for Thanksgiving. I forgot to ask what you were doing for Thanksgiving. I said, I hang out with the dog, eat a turkey sandwich. I'm good. And she goes, that's ridiculous. Come on down, spend Thanksgiving with us. Every year I get invited to Thanksgiving. Every year he goes down to Anna Maria. Okay. The exception, not the rule. Yeah. And I wish it was different. It takes two, right? But that was a lot of both of us. I give as much credit to her, if not more than me, is we put our ego aside. We always put our kids first. When we had disagreements, it's hard to work out, right? We worked them out. And I just tried to put in my vocabulary early on when anything came up that she wanted, whatever's best for you, whatever's easiest for you. Because most of this stuff... It's not that big of a deal. Mm. So, dang, I think that's one. That was fun, man. Finally getting to talk to you was very interesting. I know we we I've been sick. We had delays. My father passed away. Oh man, it's already here. That yeah, dang. it's okay. It's I've right. already got so. the title of the podcast. Uh, Put your damn ego on the shelf. <laughs> that's it, man. It's not easy. Oh my god, it's not easy. <laughs> All right. We want to thank Seth for taking time out in his busy schedule and talk to us. And we'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye.